while the kids head out, um, I just want to take a moment and, and regarding our VBS. Can you just raise your hand if you have been involved with VBS in any way this week, whether uh, serving with creating the, the decorations here or serving during the week? Nice and high, nice and high. Thank you very much. I just want to give thanks particularly to Pastor Kevin and our children's minister, uh, Rebecca DeBoer, and the others who gave of themselves very sacrificially in order to make things like this Jeep possible for me to preach from. Um, I've never had a Jeep. I've always wanted an SUV. I haven't gotten one yet. This is the closest I've gotten so far. So I'm, this is really a step up. I'm not sure if it's a Wrangler or Grand Cherokee. Um, very excited to be in it. And, and we're, again, we're going to hear more about what the week was like later from, from Pastor Kevin and others. Um, but, but thanks to all of you who have played a significant role in that. And we pray, as we prayed during the week, that God will use that time that these children had powerfully, as silly as it may sound, for the rest of their lives, that that week they would be able to look back and say, there's something that happened during that week that I learned about God and about his word. Um, if you've got a Bible with you or if you're near a Bible in the seats, we're going to be looking at that gospel passage from John chapter 21, which in those pew Bibles is page 907. Again, that's page 907 or John 21. We're going to get there in just a couple minutes as we um, do prepare to open that up. Let's pray. Father, on, on this day of St. Peter and St. Paul, Father, we pray that you would please come now and specifically as we look at this account with Peter and John, we pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit by and through your word, you would speak to all of us individually and to us together as a church family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was saying earlier, it is St. Peter's Sunday and this day in which we acknowledge particularly St. Peter, the namesake of our church, and from which we get, again, this gospel reading in John chapter 21, which is often known as Peter's recommissioning or his reinstatement. Now, on one hand, I just want to acknowledge as we get going this morning that this passage, the, the main focus of it, is clearly about Peter's identity as an apostle. So if, if you've read John's gospel before, you know about this journey that Peter has been on through the gospel. You know he's, he starts as Simon, son of John. Uh, he meets Jesus. Jesus immediately gives him the new name, Cephas, uh, which means Peter or rock, if you follow the Gospels later on in Matthew 16, Jesus looks at Peter and tells him that on, on this rock, as Peter, he's going to build this church. And then later as you continue the Gospels, in John chapter 18, um, even though we have high hopes for Peter, we get to this powerful scene in which Jesus has been arrested and he's going on trial and Peter distances himself from Jesus three times. He betrays him. And that's why this passage from John 21 is so powerful as Peter's recommission. It's no coincidence, obviously, that Jesus asked Peter these questions three times. He's denied, Peter's denied Jesus three times earlier, as we said. And then Jesus asks Peter to reaffirm his love for him three times as he's restored. So this is, this is obviously a story that is really rich in symbolism and meaning, just as a narrative. Now, with that being said, we're actually going to focus on another important part of this passage today, not so much through the lens as to what it tells us about Peter as an apostle, but more about what it tells us about the nature of the Christian life. 
And here's why we're going to do that this morning. Notice that when Jesus comes and when he reinstates Peter, he doesn't look at Peter and just say, okay, Peter, you messed up. Now you're back on the team, okay? So pick, your, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get going. There's a lot of work to do. He goes a step further than that, doesn't he? He says, Peter, not only are you on the team, but I've got a role for you. And I want you to do two similar things. Okay, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend them. That's what we're going to focus on today as we look at these verses from John 21, the fact that the sheep need to be fed and tended. And I, and I, I don't think I have to explain but possibly for, for just a, a couple. If you're visiting here for the first time, if you're learning about Christianity, as, we're, as Jesus is talking about the sheep, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about, ultimately, the people of God. Those of us who call ourselves here Christians. I said a second ago that this is going to teach us about the nature of the Christian life. And, and you might be wondering, well, how, exam how exactly is that? What is it going to teach us about the Christian life? And the answer is this. What we're going to see today is that the Bible's image of the people of God being sheep and sheep that need to be fed, this is huge to understanding one of the most fundamental dynamics of the Christian life. And that is that in the same way that all of us have ongoing and regular needs for food that have to be met if we're going to survive, in the same way Christians have a similar spiritual need. And, and here's the important part about this. We're not, as Christians, the Bible says, like succulents. Does anyone know what a succulent is? I just learned that word a couple years ago, I'm embarrassed to say. Like the little cacti-looking thing. You know that the joke in some of the sociological research being done on millennials is that millennials love succulents because they don't really have to have any responsibility for them because a, suc a succulent is one of those plants that you don't really have to, to tend to or water, but maybe like once every two years. And somehow it miraculously keeps growing. And, and we millennials give ourselves a pat on the back and ask for a trophy. We're not like that, according to the Bible. We're not like succulents. Instead, uh, we look very different. We need regular provision in response to an ongoing spiritual appetite if we're going to survive. That's what we're going to see this morning. First, it's, it's going to be very straightforward this morning as we get into this. We're going to go to John 21. We're going to see this observation. What are we to learn as Jesus talks to Peter about us being sheep that need to be fed? And then secondly, we're just going to look at what is possibly just one application of this for us when it comes to our own selves and our, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, our own walk with Christ. What does that look like? So the, so the observation and then a very simple, straightforward application so, first, what's Jesus saying in our passage when he talks about us being like sheep? What we're going to do now is we're going to look at that passage. If you have it in front of you on 907 or in your own Bible that you brought with you, let's read again verses 15 through 17, which Deacon Karen read for us this morning. Remember, this is coming to us in the, um, the third and final resurrection of appearance of Jesus in John's gospel. And Jesus has appeared to the disciples, he's had breakfast with them, and now it starts to share a little bit more about his interaction with them. It says, when they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we've already this morning pointed out the charge that Jesus gives to Peter. He asked him these three questions, and now he's encouraged him these three times, essentially, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And it would be natural for us to ask the question, why does Jesus ask Peter to do this specifically? Why does he ask Peter? Why does he, again, say not just more, hey, Peter, you're on the team. Let's get going. He says, feed my sheep. Is it because um, Jesus feels like he needs to give Peter something to do? Is that why he asks him? Like maybe he's trying to help Peter get in the old apostolic saddle back in there and, and say, hey, Peter, here's something for you to do. Go feed my sheep. Probably not. Or is it maybe because in, in calling the other Christians um, sheep, Jesus is trying to maybe stroke Peter's ego and trying to manipulate him into getting something that he knows that Peter really needs to do. Is that the reason that he's asking him to do that? And obviously the answer is no to that too. So, so why does he ask him? If you've read much of the Bible, you know that all throughout the scriptures, there is this image being used for the people of God as sheep in need of a shepherd. So for example, some of you know uh, the imagery, and, and I'm just... Uh, Choosing a couple examples. For example, Numbers 27. Some of you remember Moses is leading the Israelites. And then it gets to this place, this sad place where he realizes he's not going to be able to enter into the promised land. And, and he asks God, God, will you appoint someone that will succeed me? And why is that? In order to go before the people and they're going in and coming out. So, in the words of Moses, they may not be like sheep without a shepherd. And he's talking about Joshua, or Joshua becomes the response to that, some of you know. So we see it in Numbers 27. Uh, we see it in the Psalms, some of the, maybe the most well-known Psalm, Psalm 23, as it talks about our God being our shepherd and a God who provides for his people, who, who leads his people. We saw it in our reading today from Ezekiel 34. We see it as we get into the Gospels, maybe the most well-known passage in John 10, when Jesus talks about himself being the great shepherd. He says he leads his sheep in and out to pasture. So regularly, again and again, we read in the Bible about this image of us as people being like sheep and in need of guidance and leadership. And I, th I think in light of that, it's fair then to go back to our passage today and come to the obvious conclusion that Jesus is entrusting Christians with this responsibility of being shepherded because we, as the people of God, need shepherding. We need to be fed. And that's the first, and I know almost self-evident point of, this, uh, of our time this morning in looking at this passage, that the people of God have a regular an ongoing spiritual hunger that has to be met in order for us to thrive. We are just, we're just designed that way. Think about it for a second. 
no one would disagree, regardless of whatever their faith is, that our bodies function in such a way that we have to eat regularly or else our bodies are just going to stop working. Okay, as Christians, we'd say that's how they've been designed by God. And we know if we don't continue to put food in our bodies, what happens? The clock starts, and we've got maybe a matter of days or maybe more likely a, a matter of weeks before we just start to break down. And similarly, the scriptures say, we are wired in such a way that if we do not feed spiritually, here's the crazy thing. Our bodies might look okay. In fact, we might be in great shape. We might have eaten very well physically, and yet spiritually we start to wither. We can ultimately become a spirit, spiritually emaciated, or we even can, can face the challenge of, of just a spiritual collapse. And what I want to do now then is be very naturally, natural if you're wondering, what does it then mean for us, for the people of God, to be spiritually fed? Maybe one of the ways that we can clarify this is to highlight some of the similarities and some of the differences between physical hunger and spiritual hunger. Okay, so follow me just for a second. Think about how these things are the same. I think you can make the argument, as I just said, that our physical and spiritual hunger are ongoing things. Okay, these are things that we experience regularly. You ate breakfast this morning, most likely, maybe not all of you, but most likely you've had something to eat, and I hope after the service you're going to join us as so we have a great feast together. Okay, why is that? Why aren't you going to wait a week or a couple months to have another meal? Obviously, because you need more food. Now, <laughs> similarly, we know that our spiritual hunger is ongoing. So, so we meet as a church family for regular corporate worship. We also, just want to remind you, we have opportunities to gather during the week. We have a great time a brief time for our Wednesday Eucharist in the middle of the day on Wednesdays. We've got times of teaching um, on, on Wednesday mornings among our, our women's groups. We've uh, got a group of men that gather during most of the year in the morning on Thursday morning. We take all these different opportunities, in some ways you could say, to feed together before the Lord. Now, why do we do that? Because in the same way that we can't go months at a time without a meal, we regularly need to be spiritually fed. That's one way in which these needs are similar. But there's at least one important way that our physical and our spiritual hunger are different. And to some degree, and by God's grace, isn't it true, physical hunger can be met and satiated by almost any kind of food, can it? Okay, if you're hungry, you, you may not want to eat everything that you can satisfy that with, but you, you can satisfy it with most things. Let's say for next week, 4th of July weekend, uh, you go out to the Gulf and you go sailing and, and you get stranded. Maybe um, your sails get torn in a storm. You don't have any sort of motor and, and you're by yourself with a friend for maybe a week at a time and you've run out of food and you feel like you're starving. And finally, there's some big ship from the Navy that passes you and rest, rescues you and they bring you onto the ship, and they set you down in the mess. Um, you can barely walk you, but you, you've got, because you have such little energy, but man, is your stomach growling. They sit you down. They put a giant plate of spaghetti in front of you. Now, you may not be a big fan of spaghetti, but you're probably going to devour that meal. Why is that? Because even if you might have a preference for something, we can meet our needs for food with a variety of things. 
This is not the case with our spiritual hunger, is it? The Bible says that in our efforts to satisfy our spiritual hunger, we can look to all kinds of different things. So we might look to relationships with other people, maybe to family members, um, maybe to our friends or to people that we work alongside and, and trying to meet our spiritual needs. We might look to our career. Okay, we, we might look to our identity and our professional life and the things that we're accomplishing. We can look to material things. We can look to our homes, our clothes, or our cars, or other things. Here's the problem. Unlike food, we as, as human beings and Christians, we, we can't satiate our spiritual hunger with just anything, at least not in the truest sense. That's, for example, the, the lesson learned by the woman at the well with Jesus in John 4. Jesus looks at this woman, and he tells her in a similar way, look, I've got, I've got a water that's going to help you to never thirst again. He's the only one that can meet her deepest needs. So now, having looked at that similarity and a difference, let's go back to this question then. What does it mean to be spiritually fed in the way, in the sense that Jesus is talking about. Um, I, I'd like to spend a lot more time focusing on that in my own study, but I just want to put forward one possible definition. Um, the onward, inward digestion of Jesus's teachings about himself, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. The ongoing and inward digestion of Jesus' teachings about himself and God the Holy Spirit and, and God the Father. I recognize that that's a very broad statement. It's intentionally broad and for at least a couple of reasons. Where does this come from? We get a sense of this from a place like Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Some of you might remember this from our series that we did a number of weeks ago. When Paul says this, he says to these Christians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So this is what the earliest Christians would have been doing when they were getting together. Even if they, at the time, didn't have the, the whole New Testament as we have it yet today, we, we knew, for example, that this, this Jesus they were praising, this incorporated everything that he was in the fulfillment of of the Messiah and the old because they knew that Jesus had come and said, I am the fulfillment of all of this. All of this in the Old Testament is pointing to me. Now, if this is the case, if this is one thing that might be being meant by the idea of us being fed according to Jesus, we should ask, what is the responsibility that Jesus seems to be giving to Peter and, and ultimately to the other apostles and other leaders as he talks about the people of God being fed and, and being led regularly to the deep well of Jesus' teachings. I think it means feasting again upon everything that he has to teach us about himself, about the kingdom, about the Holy Spirit, about his Father, everything. And so now, just to wrap up this first observation, think about what we've seen so far in this passage in John 21. Jesus recommissions Peter. He totally restores him. And even though he's denied Jesus, in that act of restoration, he reaffirms something we read about again and again in the scriptures, which is the reality that us as the people, we as the people of God have an ongoing spiritual hunger. He, he focuses in on it and says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. 
some of his last words in John's gospel. And finally, just a more brief point. We said from the beginning this morning that we'd be looking at that observation and then then one application out of this passage. We've seen that observation. Now let's let's look at what what does this mean for us in the Christian life? Because I, I believe that you can look at this passage and then you can infer at least one implication about what it means for for you and I to be followers of Jesus. And that is this. Every Christian, every one of us has to put ourselves into a position where we can be spiritually fed. I'm going to think more about that in a second, but let me say it again. Every one of us is responsible for putting ourselves into a position in which we can be spiritually fed. So in, 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 in the same way, that it's on, our, on us to get ourselves to the grocery store you know, or, or to a, a restaurant to, to prepare ourselves a meal in order to survive. It is also on us to put ourselves into a position in which we can receive that which we need in order to spiritually survive. And I recognize, on one hand, obviously, the most important place to do this is in the church. Okay, yes, I'm, I'm kind of contractually obligated to say that as a pastor. I know, I know. But yes, one of the most important places, and I'm not just saying that because we're a church, because that's the way that the Bible talks about the body of Christ. This is one of the most significant ways. We were made to be fed spiritually together as we gather around worshiping our, our Savior in corporate worship. And here's where this gets really practical. And I want to talk about the implications of this it's possible that what I'm about to say does not apply to everybody here, but I think it's, it's possible that it applies to at least a couple of us here, though I wouldn't know who you are. Some of us here are bored in our relationship with God. Some of us here are disappointed in our relationship with God. We don't find him very interesting. But the reason that we might not know that we're feeling this way is actually not a statement about God and his insufficiency to intrigue us or to captivate us or to satisfy us. The reason that you might be feeling this way is that because you're only gathering with other people for corporate worship maybe once a month or maybe at most twice a month. And, and, and I don't have any particular person in mind as I say that. I, I just know that has been my own experience in my life, that when I'm away from other people, being able to draw near, to sit under um, the word to come to the table together to, to sing, when I'm not doing those things, I feel it spiritually. There are some of us here that are struggling because we also are having our own time, um, a difficult time not getting into the scriptures on our own very often. And, and here's, to go back to the, the observation about church, here's one thing I want to stress. It is possible to come to church all the time and still experience those things. So it's not as if there's any sort of guarantee that if you don the door of a church every day or every week, we're not going to experience of those things. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scriptures say. But if, we are real, if, if we're not really engaging with God in any meaningful way, whether it be on our own time or with other Christians, is it any surprise that for some of us we might be experiencing the Christian life as kind of a mediocre thing. That should not come as a surprise to any of us. Follow follow me for just a second here, because I want to think about the logic behind this. 
Some of you here I know have done marathons. Some of you have done um, or accomplished an Ironman. Those kind of trainings, I've never done that, by the way. Um, I've cheered for people. That's about as far as I get. Some of you have done those things know that that requires a huge amount of preparation, a huge amount of training. You, you have someone else training you. Maybe you go on the internet and you're trying to learn what to do. If you've researched that you, those things before, you know no one recommends that you fast for a week before you go run the marathon or before you swim or before you ride your bike forever. Why is that the case? Because if you do that, not only are you not going to set a new personal record for yourself, you're not going to finish the race. And I don't just mean that you're like going to get a ride from a golf cart to the finish line. You might die if you fast before the race. Friends, every day in life, especially if you're a Christian, is a marathon. Do you feel that? I feel it. Every day is a marathon. The pressures that we feel, the temptations that we experience, uh, experience the discouragement that happens. <laughs> Isn't it funny that when you look at our passage from 2 Timothy 4, did you notice the language that Paul uses? It's that exact language as he talks about his experience in life. And what does he say? He says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And the marathon that is the life of a disciple, we all need food. It would be foolish for anyone to go do one of those races and, and not be adequately prepared. And similarly, it would be insane for us to not be gathering with the people of God and feeding upon him and his word and coming and feeding at his table together. Now, I realize the scope of the application of this passage that I've um, taken this morning might be pretty narrow for some of you. And some of you are mindful that there are a number of other ways that we can put ourselves in position to be fed. I'd love to think about that more. If we had more time in another sermon, we could talk more about what does it mean to have a robust devotional life um, regularly in the scriptures, to have that woven into your everyday life, or to talk about memorizing scripture. Um, we we looked at memorizing scripture a couple months ago. I was really encouraged when one of you um, pulled me aside recently and shared about a new program that you're on in terms of trying to memorize a large chunk of scripture. There are other ways, again, we can approach this. But in light of this role that Jesus is giving to Peter, and in light of the fact that our own church family is celebrating together on this very special day, I thought it was appropriate for us to focus on what's probably the most significant way that any of us can be fed. And so here's what I do. I want to close now. And I just want to ask, as we, as we think about this day, St. Peter's Sunday, as we look to this passage in John chapter 21, and as we think about Jesus's exhortation to the people, I'm sorry, to Peter, say, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Can we agree that we, St. Peter's, will be a people that are defined by a hunger for God and satisfaction in God? Can we agree, for example, that we will be a people that, are, that continue to be, because I've sensed this as I accepted the call here to serve as your senior pastor, can we continue to be a people that are defined by a hunger for God, a hunger for corporate worship, 
that when we come together um, and we sing, whether it be on a Sunday morning or in other times, we are, we are doing the same thing that happens when, when you uh, hear someone that is singing in the shower. When they, when they are mindful of no one else, they are caught up in their, old, in their own world, and they are just belting out at the top of their lungs because of overflow of what they're feeling. Can we be a people, and I don't mean demonstrative worship per se, I just mean can we be a people that love and want to press into what it means for us to worship together as a church family? Can we define by that kind of hunger? Can we be defined by a continued study of the scriptures? I love that about our church. That's one of the things that was so affirming, again, when I accepted this call. I could go online. I could listen to sermons from, from uh, Pastor Mark and, and Pastor Kevin. And it was obvious these were people who were gifted teachers of the word, and they were continuing to lead a, a people that were hungry for it. Can we continue to be that? Can, can we be known as a community, as a people that are defined by that? Can we be a people that are also continue to be defined by a hunger for service and by serving our community, that we would be known as a church that goes beyond the, the four walls of, these room, of this room and the other rooms of this building, and that we're, we're stepping into our own respective spheres of influence and that other people are able to identify, not to say anything special about us, but that they would know that there is very some, something very special about our God. And then finally, can we, can we not only be a people that are defined by hunger as we think about the sheep being fed, but that we are, we are defined by our satisfaction? To go back to the worship. Defined by people full of joy for who God is, what he has done for us, what he continues to do for us, even if in our own lives, the circumstances of our lives are actually falling apart relationally, materially, in terms of our health that we would be satisfied, satisfied by his love for us, satisfied by his provision for us, satisfied by his glory. I want to encourage you, please do be praying for that as a church family. As, as we gather around um, for food after this service, may, may that be, as we think about our future life together, things that shape us, B being a, a body of Christ that is ultimately most known by a deep, deep need for God, and a deep, deep delight in who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you understand us, that you understand how we're wired um, and what our needs are, and that you've made it clear to the church how to respond to that. Please, please, would you guide us together corporately as a church family that we would be a place where people are fed, um, that we would not just be a place where, where people walk in and walk out, Lord, but that we would have changed lives and changed hearts and that we would lead changed communities because what you're doing in and through us. Lord, and, and then individually, would you continue to feed us, Lord? I especially do think of those who may feel discouraged this morning. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would give us hope that you are a great shepherd and that you will guide and lead us into green pastures. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.